there is something that happens when we stop performing ministry and we start living ministry. In strategic planning, there is something different when you stop going through the motions and you actually seek and pursue God to see what is it we need to do. And for some people, that is cutting back from all the pomp and circumstance to get to the heart of the matter. And for some people, that's ramping up. Y'all need to do more. You actually need to show up so that people can see the heart and life of God. And so I'm grateful for the ways that we have the ability to impact people, to move beyond their comfort zone, to actually make a difference in the lives of the unchurched, in believers, in people who are fragile, you know, the people who are right on the edge. It means we do something different to actually live our faith in God. Welcome to the Center for Congregations podcast. This is a conversation for anyone invested in sustaining and strengthening their faith communities. The Center for Congregations is an Indiana nonprofit that exists because we believe the work of your congregation is essential. Our mission is to strengthen your congregation by helping you find the right information or expertise for your congregation's needs. We're able to do this because of the generosity of the Lily Endowment. everyone. Welcome back to the Center for Congregations podcast. This is Matt Burke, the Education Director and the Northeast Director. And with me, as always, is Ben Tapper. Hey, Ben. Hey, Matt. Excited to be here this morning. Good morning. We're glad to be back in season three and excited about today's topic. Today, we're going to be talking about strategic planning. And Ben, let them know who the guests are that we'll be talking to later on. Yeah, you're going to hear from Amy Larimore, who is a consultant with Allied Solutions, and Louise Jackson, who works for Salesforce here in Indianapolis. Two women who have worked together for years, and they bring such a unique energy, color, and wisdom into their work. I'm very excited about this interview. Yeah, they've got obviously a good friendship and good chemistry. And just so you know, up front, they both have a very dry sense of humor. So there are some points where they're poking fun at each other. They really do genuinely love each other. So don't think that there's any animosity. They're just having fun giving each other a hard time. And I think you'll appreciate and enjoy their conversation. Yeah, it was maybe the most fun I've had doing a podcast interview. So I hope some of that comes across as y'all get to hear them today. As we think and talk about strategic planning, Matt, I'm wondering how this comes up for you in your work Northeast or even as the education director. Yeah, so strategic planning pops up a lot in conversations I have with congregations because clearly as organizations, it's something that they're interested in. It's something that's been a staple of businesses and organizations for many, many years. So we see a lot of requests for information on strategic planning, consultants who do strategic planning, grant requests for strategic planners. Et cetera, et cetera. So it's actually something that we get a lot of. And yeah, I've got some, a few things to say about that of some things that I've seen from the outside, but just curious, Ben, about your impressions and whether it's something you encounter a lot in your work in Indianapolis. 
I wouldn't say I encounter it a lot, but I've experienced a good amount of congregations that are interested in strategic planning. And I kind of lump strategic planning into succession planning as well, which has also come up a few different times in the work that I do here in Central Region. You know, I think strategic planning is the big bucket that can be broken down into kind of sub buckets that congregations might tackle, you know, one part of the strategic planning process at a time. But it definitely comes up fairly frequently. Yeah. And one of the key things that I've heard a lot is congregations that in the past have done strategic planning and they talk often about how, you know, they'll spend three months, six months working with a consultant, have all these plans, get it in a binder. And then sadly, the binder then sits on the shelf and kind of collects dust beyond that. So I think a key thing to think about as a congregation, if you're thinking about strategic planning, make sure you're paying attention to implementation. So what are the practical outworkings of what you plan? And potentially even if you're engaging a consultant to think about having them on retainer or working with you through the implementation phase, because that's a common concern that I hear is that it's a good process to go through, but if you're not careful, it doesn't have legs and won't really carry you forward into new directions. Yeah, and one of the reasons that we wanted to talk about strategic planning and even prepping Luis and Amy for the conversation is clearly a three to five year plan at this point in congregational life is very problematic. Yeah, We've gone through the pandemic, we've gone through congregations not being able to meet, and now potentially you might be meeting again, but maybe you're still social distancing. You likely have a digital element that you didn't used to have questions and concerns about hybrid congregational life and how you're going to be managing that. You know, what do you do with the people who are now part of your congregation that are out of state that have come to you because of your online presence? And so it's really a very vastly different landscape now than it used to be. And so I think strategic planning either is going to have to change dramatically or is going to have to be much more short-term in its aims. Because I don't know that at this point in congregational history, and if you're listening to this podcast, you know, we're recording in May of 21, you might be listening in fall of 21 or even beyond. And so things might be a little more stable than they are now. But even still, I think congregational life has changed enough that the typical three to five year strategic plan might be incredibly difficult to do at this point in congregational life. Yeah, and I think, and this is something that will come out in the interview, it might be even more important to have a strategic planning process that is very people-focused and person-oriented. And that might sound like, well, duh. But I think, you know, when we think about strategic planning, when we talk about strategic planning, we're talking about and thinking about organizational health, life. We're thinking and talking about mission statements, vision statements, what kind of programs are we going to do, and all that is important. But especially when things can fluctuate and change, it can be even more important to evaluate the people that you have on your team, the skills and gifts that they bring, the challenges and opportunities that they bring, and then to use that to build out the mission and vision. And so maybe as we're navigating these fluctuating times, it might behoove congregations or organizations to focus a bit more on the people that are doing the work and build out from that versus the organizational vision and mission and then to work into the people later. Yeah, and I'd encourage listeners to go back in our back catalog to season one, episode seven, where we talked about human-centered design, Mm -hmm. because I think that could be a really important part of a strategic planning process in thinking about not just the organization and the staff, the employees perhaps, but designing based on the people who are in your congregation, who are attending, whether online or in person, thinking about their needs and crafting your planning around those things, as opposed to maybe the traditional ways of thinking about strategic planning. 
Yeah, I agree. That was a fun episode to do. And I think the framework of human-centered design that Victoria offers fits very well with strategic planning. Honestly, it just fits well with congregational life, but especially strategic planning. Yeah. And I think another element of strategic planning that is often taken for granted, I don't know that a lot of congregations really understand their own identity. And there's almost steps before strategic planning that you need to undertake to think about who you are, what's your personality as a congregation, what are your aims, what are your goals, what do you consider success? And some of those things come out in strategic planning. But at the same time, if you don't go in with a good sense of who you are and your congregational identity, I think it makes that process a little more difficult. And so spending some time in thinking about what do you value, uh, what are you hoping to do in the world, what are you hoping to achieve, and bringing some of those elements into the strategic planning process so that you have a sense of where you're going even before you begin thinking about the strategy and the tactics and the logistics of how you get there. Yeah, I mean, once again, I agree. And and I just encourage folks to keep all that in mind as you're listening and even after you listen. But Amy and Luis have a lot to say, a lot of insight to offer. They kind of hit a lot of different angles of the strategic planning process. And you're not only get to hear from people who've done the work and are looking at it from the congregational lens, but you get to hear a little bit of the perspective of the consultants that are hired to walk congregations through the strategic planning process. And I think that is what is so unique about this particular interview is, yeah, you'll get some insights to help you move forward with your process or to figure out how to begin your process even, but you're also going to get that behind the scenes knowledge and viewpoints of the people that are doing this work day in and day out in congregations across the state and across the country. And that insider knowledge and viewpoint can be really beneficial and helpful. And so with that being said, I hope that you appreciate this interview and that you glean a lot from the wisdom and the joy that Amy and Louise bring to this topic. Yeah. And I think the interview hopefully will help you. It's like when I go to the doctor, I try to be a good patient, you know, mm-hmm. like... <laughs> Even if I've read something online, I usually don't bring that up to the doctor and then be like, well, you know, doc, I read online that, you know, right. <laughs> and so this is an opportunity to hear from practitioners, the kinds of things that I think they're a little transparent sometimes about the things that frustrate them and some of the roadblocks that they encounter in working with congregations. And so just a way to help you think through how are you a good patient when you're dealing with someone who does strategic planning, respecting them as the expert and allowing them to do the job that you've hired them to do and not necessarily putting up roadblocks in their way. Yeah, so we've said a lot, and now we want you to hear from Amy and Luis. So here they are. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Center for Congregations podcast. I'm your co-host, Ben Tapper, and I'm also joined by two wonderful guests today, and I'm super excited to have them with me. So I'll introduce them and then explain why our format and structure is going to be a little different than normal. So today, the guests I have with me are Amy Cole Larimore and Louise Jackson. Amy's the owner of Allied Solutions and philanthropic strategist for the PhD program in African-American preaching and sacred rhetoric at Christian Theological Seminary. She's also an instructor at the University of Notre Dame in nonprofit development and governance. Louise is the owner at Talent Cabinet. She's the senior program manager at Salesforce, newly elected member of the Carmel School Board, worship leader who's currently serving at Traders Point Christian Church, and the mother of two and wife of one, Amy and Luis. It is so great to have you both here. Welcome to the podcast. 
Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Ben. So, Amy, I think we just need a quick moment to usher in the presence of God. So I'm going to just take that moment and, you know, bless us with a come on in the room. Well, come on, Jesus, in the room. Come on in the room. I know you can already talk. Go ahead, Amy. They let you do that at Trader's Point? I didn't know that you were allowed. I was like... That seems like a whole lot of soul coming out there. I was just checking to make sure we were all on the same page. It's good to see you. Oh, you know, my soul is blessed to see and hear your voice as well, Amy. Praise God. But I'm not surprised that you're ushering in the spirit because I thought, like, this is really what it looks like when people contract with us. Like, I mean, isn't that real? Like, it's like, before we start, let us all bring in the Spirit of God so we can be on one page Amen. and one accord. That's real. Yeah, you know, I can dig it. I can dig it every time. It's necessary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I can say unequivocally that that is the most entertaining and enjoyable start to a podcast that we've had here at the Center for Congregation. So I love the energy that's coming out already. We're here to talk about strategic planning, and y'all bring not only a wealth of knowledge about the process of strategic planning, but you have a lot of experience talking with folks about the approach and helping people see kind of beyond the myopic view that we can often come into the strategic planning process with. And so I just want to invite you in to begin sharing about your experience working together and the work that you've done individually in terms of strategic planning. I'm wondering, as you think about the work that you've done, the organizations you have consulted with, what factors have shaped the best planning environment for long-term success? So I think it's a good place to start as we think about this pandemic season, right? We've been in pandemic operations for a full year now. And when I think about the factors for strategic planning, I would say so much has changed in the last year, but it was already changing before that. When I think about the reality that many organizations uh, want to get something in writing for three to five years. And oftentimes what we understand is that we haven't really embraced the various environmental factors that will shift the things that will change, the fact that God may be calling you to something in a spontaneous way. And so being open to those things, I know that the pandemic has made us at least more mindful that things can change in just a moment. But I would tell you, the work that Louise and I have been able to do together has been centered on authentic transparency, being able to communicate in really transparent and direct ways, a state of grace, unmerited favor. I mean, we have skills and abilities and talents that I believe are well-documented, but we also know that we are human. And so mistakes happen, failure can happen. And so we're really pretty clear and direct about that when we come into an environment and also asking people to be transparent about the information, the data, the resources that they bring forward. And you'd be really surprised to know that that's not always easy to put all those things in one place together. The last thing I'll say before just listening to additional thoughts from Louise, planning often takes time. 
and you often have to be really intentional about the flow of the time and the schedule. And in order to get different constituency audiences to be able to be a part of the conversation, it takes a lot of scheduling, a lot of intentionality. And sometimes people just want, can you meet us in two meetings and be done? No, we cannot. I know that you can pay somebody to do it. I know you can. But the reality is it does not work that way. And I think that that's a real eye-opener as people realize it takes time to plan thoughtfully and to plan well. Well, thank you there, Minister Blair Moore. I would say when I'm looking to come together to do strategic planning, I'm looking for diverse views and perspectives to come to the table, right? We need people that think differently, aren't afraid to challenge us on the why behind what we've been doing. And so I think in order for those folks to feel free to share their thoughts, they need to feel as though the leadership that's sitting at the table is open. So we need an air of openness. I think, you know, Amy will attest to the fact that we've had a variety of folks that we've worked with, some open, some not so open, some believing they're open, but not truly being open. (laughs) So when I come together with teams, I like to, you know, definitely have this freedom that folks experience when we're having dialogue so that they can share these differing perspectives. And so that's just a couple of pieces that I look for. So, well, you started with sarcasm already, uh, minister. But here's what I'll share. As we work and navigate together, uh, this idea of diverse views and also being able to laugh. My goodness, what has ever happened to laughter? But this idea of bringing diverse views is critically important. We talk a lot about getting on the balcony to have a balcony view taking yourself out of the midst of the work to look at it differently. And one of the things that often happens is that you start to realize that people really have not been able to get away to think about it differently, that they simply want to affirm where they've already been and where they're going. And so if you invite Louise and I into the mix and we're like, what if we didn't do it this way? What if we didn't host two meetings? What if we didn't write a plan for five years when you really should work on getting through one or three? What if we didn't affirm that everybody's doing everything right? Where would we be? I think of that difference between being driven and being called, this idea of really asking people to think deeply about what is God calling you to do versus what you have set in your mind to do. We're going to do better communications. We're going to have like a multimedia fest. We're going to pack it out. We're going to get two million in the pews. Or we could have a really organized service and usher in the spirit and talk about God and pay people decently. I mean, maybe that too. Yeah, I think those are all good points, Amy. I think, you know, I am definitely a very goal-oriented consultant. And so, you know, when we're doing the strategic planning, I always like to make sure we are all in alignment on the goals because I think you can have different people sharing different views of what they feel like great will look like. And we don't always pause to ensure everyone is in alignment, right? And so just because someone is quiet at the table does not mean that they are in alignment. Just as now when Amy's being quiet, she might not be in alignment with what I'm saying right now. And so just asking everyone at the table, do you agree to these pieces being the focus? And so as we continue to make additional decisions on specifics, 
we want to make sure they align with what you have all individually and collectively agreed to. Right. And so that's something that, you know, when Amy and I partner, we focus on. Right, Amy? I was so excited because you mentioned alignment and I thought about alignment in two different ways. The first being alignment of personalities. So the ability to have some shared sense of purpose in working together and not every consultant is ripe for every project. I know we like to talk about and celebrate success, but sometimes it's just not a good match or there's someone who is better capable or more in tune in a way to make a difference. Someone else can be heard in a different way. And so I think it's really critical that organizations make a good choice in the alignment of personalities when they're looking for a consultant. But I also thought about alignment of values. I don't know how many times we have started a session with a covenant of values. And sometimes it takes a bit of time to get started. And you ask people, what do you need in order to go through this process together? And if you rush too quickly past what are our commitments to one another, you can find yourself in the middle of a process where people are quiet, but not supportive, where people have really checked out very early on. And so I think of alignment in both of those ways. I'm so glad that you brought it up. Now, now, what about that element of trust, Amy? When we are working on teams and trying to do this strategic planning process, isn't there an element of trust that we should have, not only with the Lord, but amongst each other to know that at the end of the day, we are all on the same team working toward a common goal. And so if maybe something you share or a piece of feedback you give doesn't necessarily align with what my thought or experiences might be, I still trust you to be focused on what we need to make our congregation the best that it can be, provide the best experience that it can have. And so how do we ensure that we have a little bit of a trust going on between both ourselves and the Lord and the team members we're partnering with on the journey? Here's the thing. You said trust and Mm -hmm. my whole disposition changed. Mm -hmm. Trust with God is one thing, Mm -hmm. but trust is also earned. And so when I think about the organizations where people have violated and disrespected core values for a long time, and then you and I come in from the outside and everybody's seeking God and using good theological language and quoting scriptures in between every exercise. And then you realize, oh, these folks don't like each other. Mm. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. Or you realize that you say something because you have an audience, Mm -hmm. but your work ethic has not demonstrated what you have said to people. Mm -hmm. And I think we've been in more than one situation where It's really just very hard to say we should just trust each other when the practice, the action steps really don't merit trust. Mm. One thing that comes to mind, and let's not get political today, but the difference (laughs) between 
being an ally and a co-conspirator, right? Mm. And so I was really participating in a project and I was a panelist. I mean, I was really doing low level, show up, be on a panel, go back home. Mm -hmm. And I was introduced to a video that distinguished the difference between being an ally and a co-conspirator. I wanted to shout in my house. Do you understand? I was like, Mm. oh, The difference between reading all the right things, Mm. saying all the right things, Mm -hmm. and actually taking a risk. I think it was under the leadership of Dr. Bettina Love that was expressing the difference. Well, I think about that in strategic planning terms, too. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people know the buzzwords. They can write the best goal. They can come up with a deliverable. But the reality is that they will risk nothing. For the organization, Mm, they can preach a sermon, preach a sermon and do nothing differently as of Monday, 8 Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm a.m. You gave it to Monday. What about the parking lot? I mean, you know, ooh, ooh, I forgot about the parking lot, especially when it's congested and you're trying to get out. And some people want to get out faster than others and they don't want to let people out. And so certain certain digits on hand start coming up in the church parking lot. I'm 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 not done that, but I've heard that that has occurred. So, yes. Yeah. The parking lot might be a different story, Sister Amy. I agree. Hmm. You know, there's a T-shirt that says I love Jesus and I cuss a little and I'm (laughs) I'm not going to promote it. I'm simply going to say the human frailties of individuals Mm. can show up in strategic planning in ministry Mm -hmm. and in organizational culture. Mm -hmm. Human frailties show up in consulting. I've been in the position where I just really had to apologize to a client. You were not able to get my best self uh, during the season, or there are things that I missed along the way that I wish I had responded to sooner. And when we think about strategic planning, I love that we can laugh and joke and Mm -hmm. have a bit of humor because I often think we worship God, but we're not God. I wanted to jump in real quick if I could. Y'all are talking about human frailty and inconsistency. And one of the things that came up in previous discussions was this idea of ensuring you have kind of the best aligned staff or volunteers present. Mm. And so I'm wondering for an organization, is it more important to try to get those people that are more aligned with your values or at least aligned with maybe what you want your values to be before a strategic planning process? Or is it wiser to kind of get through the process, see what's shifting, and then try to focus on getting those people? Or or maybe it doesn't matter at all. How do you figure out if the car has to come before the horse or not? Mm. I need to think on that. So I think your question is, do we find the staff and volunteers that align with our current values or do we focus on where we are going and recruit based on that? Is that the question? Yeah, it's really like four questions in one, which is par for the course for me. So, yes, it's that question. It's also if an organization is listening to this and they are about to start a strategic planning process, is it important for them to also think about getting the right staff in the door or is it okay for them to wait and get through the process and then try to find the staff? I think you need both. I think you need someone that's new, what we call that fresh blood at the table when you are planning your strategy. And then it is good to, I think once you have that plan, start to base your recruitment strategy on where your organization is going to help ensure you're able to meet those goals. I think we can have both. What do you think, Amy? I share, I share some of that feedback. Uh, one good practice of strategic planning 
is to invite conversation partners who are not necessarily a part of the team so that you have fresh perspectives. And I think that that really starts with having constituency audiences. So it could be givers or volunteers or new members so that you have the ability to engage people who have a different experience with the organization. But the other side of it, as far as getting the people on your team, I have such appreciation for the work that you've done with asset management and talent and strength finders to really and truly look at what should we be recruiting Mm -hmm. as we look to the future. I'll never forget a project that we were working on together. And it seemed really just taxing to get everybody to complete the work and to do strength finders and to send in their results and People wanted to read another book like they wanted a hole in the head. You know, it's just like, I thought you were just supposed to fix the office culture. And so, you know, we were working on this project and trying to do due diligence. And then everybody's profile came back and there was like nobody committed to implementation Mm -hmm. and like even fewer people committed to empathy in a Mm faith-based space. I was like, God. Thank you Mm. for diagnosis. You know, when you think about what could we add to this team to take us to the next level, having that information and data is just really helpful. I feel like you are dipping your toe into the holy water of diversity, right? And so that's a whole nother podcast and moment. But when we are recruiting, you know, staff and volunteers and when we're soliciting input from givers, we need some diversity in that pool. Right. To make sure that the experience we are working to create for our congregants is representative of indeed the congregants we have and those we desire to attract. And so how do we do that if everybody thinks the same, if everybody's personality, style and approach is similar? I don't know how we do that, Sister Amy. And so when we do things like assessments of strength finders, it is to kind of unearth that data to help us understand a perspective of kind of standing back and taking a look of what we have at the table, right? Because sometimes because we're in the work and doing the work, we don't even realize some potential gaps we might have or some things that we actually are aligned on. And so in building that recruitment strategy, you need a diverse body of leaders and participants participating in the process, right? Diversity, equity, and inclusion in 2021. My God. Mm. Uh, So Mm. uh, one of the things that I realize in doing nonprofit capacity building work over decades is that diversity can be a hot button and a accelerator to really difficult feelings. Like even just hearing the word diversity can make some people recoil from a project or an experience. And I feel in 2020, DEI became a buzzword. Like everybody had a statement a press release, something to affirm the work that they were doing. And if you just dig a little deeper, what you would realize is we have major trouble here. And so uh, the idea of diversity in my world means that there is a high regard for each and every individual and creature and environment 
that has been created by the God we worship. Mm -hmm. And so if we look at the reality that we sometimes only affiliate with, only attract, and only talk to people who share our demographics, what a limited worldview that becomes. And for me, uh, that can be seen in so many different areas. But in strategic planning, it also means groupthink. We all think we've done great or we all think we've done bad, or we all believe that we need to go to 10 services. Just everybody thinking about a different topic in the same way. The richness of diversity is to actually realize there are many, many people who have differing viewpoints. Mm. Some in our own organization and institution, and it has not been a brave or a safe space to be able to share what you really believe. Yeah, yeah. Amy, that's so good. I believe, too, that when we are coming together to do the strategic planning, it should be as best as we can make it a reflection of what happens in heaven, right? You know, in heaven, there's this beauty. There's these differences that I think will be existing there, and they are not clashing, but they're worshiping the Lord even in their difference. And so, you know, you can ponder on that for a moment. Just marinate on what heaven could be like. Right. And so as you're sitting at the table and doing your strategic planning with someone that might have a differing view or differing experience, embrace it. If it feels uncomfortable, I'm going to say it again, lean in and go, why is that uncomfortable for me? Is it because I'm only focused on my experience? And so I can't pause for a minute to have empathy with what someone else's experience and situation might be. I mean, you look outside and you see diversity all around you and the trees and the grass and the, you know, the, the constructs of homes and neighborhoods. And it all is a beautiful, I believe, song and melody. Right. And so as you're looking again, I'm going to take it all the way back at your volunteers, at your staff. Do you have a reflection of what we believe will be in heaven? Or is it maybe just one portion, one neighborhood, one demographic that's predominantly represented? And if you notice something, what are you going to do about it? You really are hitting a sweet spot. The only other constituency that I was like, please say leadership, please say donors. You know, I, I want to make sure that yes. when you think about diversity, it doesn't mean that you get a gold star for serving someone of color mm. who's at the table, who's leading, whose voices, whose research do you pay attention to? Yeah. But I was also just thinking about when something creates discomfort, mm. building in the space to be quiet, and not respond immediately, to think about your reaction, and then to come back with feedback or come back with thoughtful reflection. It's the reason why I really steer away from two sessions and we're out type of strategic planning, mm -hmm. because I think people need the opportunity and the space to actually think about what is it that you believe. I will often mm -hmm. ask individuals, and I say often, there's no way a third party can come into an organization, an institution, and know more about your work than you already know. Mm -hmm. So I don't try to diagnose or provide a prescription. You live it each and every day. What I can help do is create a framework mm -hmm. that allows you to examine things and give you an opportunity to do things differently. I appreciate partnership with you because people can listen to us laugh or talk or joke. But the reality is that mm. we worship the same God and we do a lot of things yeah. 
in similar ways, but we also are so diverse that people would not even understand Oh yes, the difference. <laughs> night, night and, and day, day. Night and day. There are benefits oh to that. But like at the essence of our partnership and how we challenge other people, it is this idea of how do you grow or go somewhere different if everyone around you is the same, believes the same, does the same. And so when we partner, I tell people all the time, I'm like, you know, I have my business partner, Amy, who is so just very different. I talk a lot of times to you, Amy, about how when we're talking about something tough, you have a lot of very descriptive words to really depict the situation. And I have about five because I like to cut to the chase. Right. And I'm very direct. And you're like, no, there's just a lot of layers to uncover. And I'm like, no, um, Sister Amy, a turd is a turd. You can shine it up if you want, but you just handed me a turd and I'm not going to accept that. We're going to figure out how we need to pivot to make sure you're handing me a gold coin, right? <laughs> so. so look, I'm not the only one with colorful language. You are a mother of two, wife of one. I am the mother of three, wife of one. And here's what I know to be the case. You deliver medicine differently to different audiences, mm. right? Amen. You know that mm. some people cannot hear you. Mm. And so you may have to adjust. It doesn't mean that the medicine is going to change necessarily, but how you deliver the medicine may need to adjust. And so mm -hmm. for me, there are times where I think, and you talk about a celebration of gifts, I'll write like four pages and say, Here's an analysis of the challenges I've seen. And Louise will walk into a room and say, because you have been lying to us, the system is broken. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> now what are we going to do to move things forward? I mean, you know, I get it, right? I think it was what? Was it Sister Poppins that said, just a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. And so I think about <laughs> Sister Laramore. I'm like, okay, they need a little bit of sugar. So, I'm going to pave the way for you. I'm going to roll out the carpet, y'all. Here is the star that is Amy Laramore. And I'm going to sit back for a second. And when you're ready, I'll lean in. But she's got it taken, you know, taken care of. So, Look, sometimes it's just a half a packet of Splenda. Can we sweeten it up a little bit? I mean, it's not even real sugar. But can we just like move it up a little bit? Let me tell you, ministry is hard. But God also gave us really great practices of how to get the work done and get it done well. So it's not simply, you know, I used to avoid faith-based organizations because somebody would just tell me, well, if you just listen to God, God spoke to me. And I'm like, I talk to God too. <laughs> I mean... I'm talking to God. <laughs> and he said, he said, y'all hot mess and you ain't going in the right direction. And frankly, you are not representing him well. That's what God said. Did God tell you that? Because he told Sister Louise, I'm going to let you know real quick. Um, it, you know, so. <laughs> oh, you have to stop it because people will tell you in a minute, God spoke to me. And, and, and how do you combat that when someone says in an environment, Simply, God told me to do it. I'm not trying to debate what God spoke to you. Yeah. But scripture also says that God blesses the work of your hands. Amen. And so let our hands get about the work necessary to create strong organizations with strong plans to do the work 
and to do ministry work and organizational work and to do it well. Yep. Yeah. And the strategy and the details matter. So when the Lord spoke to you, just be cognizant of whether or not he put a comma after that and say something else that you may not be leaning into or if he put a period, because some of us put a period there because that's all we want to hear. And others of us go, you know what? He said that, but he said not in this timing or he said that along with some other pieces that we need to consider as we move forward and advancing that vision that he gave you. So I'm just going to drop that in your lap, touch down and lift up. I'm wondering in that vein, you know, we've seen kind of the pandemic shift the audiences of congregations in some regard. In some ways, it's expanded the audiences due to the use of technology. And so as congregations are thinking about who we're serving, whose input we are receiving or we're not receiving, and they're coming, hopefully starting to adapt and move into the post-pandemic phase, what are some lessons that as consultants, as leaders, as people embedded in congregational communities that you hope congregations can take with them about this pandemic that they can apply also to strategic planning when they do it? An agile mindset, Ben, I think is important. COVID forced us. COVID forced us to think more differently about how we do worship church every Sunday. It caused us to pivot and work outside of our comfort zone, right? And so I think that spirit of agility or that muscle of agility is something we need to continue to work even as we start to try to make our way back into comfortability, right? And so always challenging ourselves to say, you know, this is how we are doing church day to day, but what do we need to do differently? What did we learn from COVID that we could continue to apply as we move forward versus just going back into the same common practices that we had, right? And so we've learned that different congregants need a different method of tapping into the word on a Sunday. It could be in person. It could be virtually. And how do we continue to support them in both ways, I think? So I'll give you a moment to speak, though. Amy, what are your thoughts? The word that came to mind for me was innovation. Mm -hmm. And so being able to think about the ways that we adjusted in the pandemic to serve a diverse audience, innovation and a orientation towards congregational care and pastoral care that I think had been missing in many of the environments that I engaged. And so I love the idea that when you care about the entire community, you find ways to serve and meet needs that may be uncomfortable for you. And in strategic planning, if you only think about the people you invite to the table, you are limiting ministry. There are other people who have energy and skill sets, a relationship with God, theological training. There are people who can do more. And if we really want to represent our God, then why are we not challenged to do more? Does it have to be a COVID-19 pandemic to make ministry more innovative, more creative, more personal, and more tailored? And I would say that about your strategic plan. If all you want are goals and deliverables in a two-week session, then probably you don't want to ask people who are going to challenge you to think more deeply. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I got two points that came from what you just shared. One is, does God need all that? So everything that we do on a Sunday morning, that could be the tactical pieces of 
the lights, are they right? The sound, is it right? The theatrics of everything. You know, when COVID came about, it forced us to take a step back and think, wait a minute, why do I do what I do? What does God really need? What do the people really need? So if we can't come into this building, how are we still carrying the word forward in our actions and treating one another and how we support the community, right? And so I think, you know, with those innovative ideas that you just shared, Amy, it reminds us to get back to and always anchor on what does God really need and want from us? And is it at the core of everything we do? The second piece was around development. I think some organizations are probably really good about developing certain people on their staff, but not always others that are on the staff. And I think volunteers, right? As someone that volunteers as a worship leader, I'd say it's very important to me to feel like I'm continuing to grow in the gifting that God has given me. And I think as we pour out as volunteers into a church organization, I believe that it's the responsibility of church organizations to continue to make sure I'm being poured into, not only with the word, but growing the gift that God has given me. And so in strategic planning, I would ask leaders, are we valuing the development of everyone equally? Because I would venture to say there's probably some areas of opportunity. I have observed in different congregations that sometimes we're better at developing the males on our staff versus the females. Now, if that's the case, why is that? Right? Let's ask each other. Let's ask one another to think on that. Is there equity in the development process? And then our volunteers, are we consistently pouring into their development? If we're not, what can we do to move that, advance that? I just think as we're talking about earlier, the recruitment strategy, if you are pouring into your volunteers, perhaps they will be one of those bodies that you're able to recruit from, correct? So you bless my heart. And this next topic, I want to be intentional about. I don't want there to be weeping in the podcast, but we had in the pandemic an opportunity to have many different experiences. And I do think it relates to strategy and planning. I happened to uh, lose my mom during the pandemic. And uh, what I understood going into the pandemic was that preachers and congregational leaders were talking about, what do you do to approximate presence when you cannot have presence. So I got to be a witness to so many faith leaders talking about how do you make yourself available to people and how do you deal with presence when you physically cannot be in the presence of people to comfort and to provide the leadership that you're used to. And so fast forward, right? I thought I was a part of all these great conversations in the first part of the pandemic. And then I lost my mom in November and I got to see what presence looks like when people care. Mm -hmm. When people care, they find approaches to let you know that God is a tangible God of action. Mm -hmm. 
And so they send you cards and things show up on your front porch and you have deliveries and people call you and text you. And when we care deeply about God, they don't rely on a preacher or a pastor. Um, They fill in the gaps and they make it possible. Someone who is dear to me in my life was working on a slide presentation of pictures of my mom. And her husband said, I think that's a little past doing senior pastor work, Pastor Janae. And she said, no, she is my friend. There is something that happens when we stop performing ministry and we start living ministry. In strategic planning, there is something different when you stop going through the motions and you actually seek and pursue God to see what is it we need to do. And for some people, that is cutting back from all the pop and circumstance to get to the heart of the matter. And for some people, that's ramping up. Y'all need to do more. You actually need to show up so that people can see the heart and life of God. And so I'm grateful Oh my gosh. For the ways that Mm -hmm. we have the ability to impact people, to move beyond their comfort zone, to actually make a difference in the lives of the unchurched and believers and people who are fragile, you know, the people who are right on the edge. It means we do something different to actually live our faith in God. Yes. Yes. And in our strategic planning, those pieces you just mentioned, Amy, how are we going to continue to have that presence in the community even after COVID, I just think are really key, right? Because people are suffering loss. You also know that I was diagnosed with breast cancer during the pandemic, frankly, at the start of the pandemic. And so I had to navigate what it looked like to get that treatment in the midst of COVID, right? And so I just believe that we can still reach those people that are suffering in a similar way that we did during COVID as we continue to do some of the things that were more of the norm as we transition out of, you know, this COVID piece. And so I think we've given folks a couple of examples of how they can do that and who is still deeply needing to be loved on and cared for and how we can continue to leverage some of those muscles we used in that agility during COVID in this journey as we move forward through strategic planning. So I think that's that's awesome. So I know that Ben is going to invite us to come to a close, and I'm grateful for this opportunity to talk about strategic planning and faith-based communities, and maybe one thing that individuals might take from our exchange together is the importance of honoring and treasuring stories and testimonies and personal Mm -hmm. experiences. And so in strategic planning, to make room for people to share their story, to share their testimony, to share how they impact others, and to not forsake the importance of individual experience in organizational culture whether it be volunteers or lay leaders, individuals who have a different experience of life than you do, different groups, whatever it may be, might we honor the stories that come with individuals as we plan? Yes, yes, Amy. So what came to mind for me when you said that is give the opportunity to our congregants, leaders to say, what are we taking forward as a result of our journey through COVID? What are we willing to continue to do 
to ensure that our community feels supported coming out of COVID. Share your story and what you're going to take forward. We're forward thinking in our strategic planning process, right? So we have the opportunity to take something forward after COVID. Well, I tell you, here's what I celebrate. Proverbs 27:17, iron sharpens iron and one friend sharpens the other. Well, I tell you, friend, I'm grateful that we get to do this work together. Mm. I actually met Ben in seminary. And one of the things I know for sure is that we have really great, talented people who are trying to advance the conversation. And I pray that we keep doing this work in ways that help organizations to become better and become more equipped to share their faith. Yeah. May his peace be with you till we meet again. All right. Welcome back. We hope you enjoy the interview with Amy and Louise. And Ben, since you were interviewing them, what are some takeaways that you had from the conversation with them? You know, one of the things that I walked away with, it was a very brief moment in the interview that stuck out to me, but I think it was important. Amy offered this anecdote about someone she was working with claiming they'd heard from God about X, Y, and Z. And her response as the consultant was, well, I hear from God too. You know, and I loved it because it was humorous. But it was also kind of a critical reminder for me that when we are in faith-based spaces, God is, in theory, in every part of the context. And so a leader hearing from God cannot be the end-all, be-all to make a major congregational decision. And that may sound earth-shattering to some folks. It may even sound, I don't know, even blasphemous to some folks. But I think that the ultimate point was we have to evaluate what we believe we're hearing from God with what the people around us that we trust may also be hearing with the needs of our community, our access to resources. We've got to ground our vision of the divine in the reality that we live in in order to make sure that what we're doing is going to be sustainable and maybe even practical at times. And so I just appreciated that anecdote and that reminder that I heard her offer to just be aware that no one person has the market cornered on hearing from God. And so we have to really critically evaluate and ask more questions after that in order to really discern which path is the best path to move forward on. So one takeaway that I had. And the second is a point that Luis made near the end of the interview, and just a reminder for those that are actively engaged in this work to let themselves be poured into as well. You know, I think regardless of the job that you do, particularly though if you're in ministry or working with congregations, it can be really easy to just constantly pour out of yourself, pour out of your giftings, pour out of your anointing even. And we don't emphasize being poured into often enough. And so I love that Luis brought that up near the end of the interview as a reminder. So whether you're a consultant working with congregations in this strategic planning process or you're a congregational leader doing strategic planning, we have to really prioritize, maybe now more than ever, 
having been through over a year of this pandemic, we've got to prioritize caring for ourselves and letting ourselves be poured back into so that we have what we need in the tank to do the work of strategic planning and strategic visioning. Yeah, that's a great point, Ben. It reminds me of, I can't remember the name of the author, but there's a book called The Four Disciplines of Execution. And one of the key themes of that is it's really hard to do high-level planning in an organization because you're caught in what the author calls the whirlwind. And so maybe to think about if you're going to engage in a strategic planning process, what are some things that you can put on pause or put on hold while you're in that process so that you're not trying to add that on top of everything else that comes along with congregational leadership and finding ways to provide rest and rejuvenation in the midst of that process rather than just layering on an additional three to six months of really hard work, really intense work on top of everything else that's already happening. Yeah. And, you know, another thing in that vein, in the vein of of rest and prioritizing self, you know, I thought it was really powerful that Louise, again, near the end of the interview, shared that she had been diagnosed with breast cancer at the beginning of the pandemic. And it's just a reminder that the people that we are working with day in and day out are also human. They are also experiencing grief. They're experiencing loss. Their lives are as complex and deep as ours are. And so we need to be able to offer grace for the unknown, for the hidden battles that we don't see to each other, and then be able to receive grace for ourselves. You know, when we talk about being poured into, that might mean you've got to recognize when something is happening in your life that requires more of your energy. And so when you need to step back or away from something else that can be stepped away from. So again, I appreciated that Luis offering that because it was just a very real, genuine moment. Sometimes, at least for me, when I get in my head and I'm thinking about these high-level things like strategic planning or ministry or doing visioning work, I can easily detach that from the human experience. But real life is never that neat. It's never that simple. And so to me, it was just another reminder of the complexity that humanity affords us. And we need to keep that in mind when we're working with others and also keep it in mind and give ourselves the grace that we need as well. So, you know, those are just pieces of richness that I took away from the interview. And with that being said, you know, we don't want to belabor any of these points too much because Amy and Louise shared a lot. And there are plenty of resources and places you can go for additional information about strategic planning. And so, Matt, let's just transition into that time. I'm wondering what resources you have today for this episode. Yeah, thanks, Ben. The first thing I want to bring up is actually a document that was created by the Center for Congregations a number of years ago that literally is called Strategic Planning and Congregations. And it's an eight-page article that basically talks about like some of the basics of strategic planning. It provides some examples of congregations that have gone through it and just really some tips on how to engage in the process. It talks about methodology, how do you find and hire a consultant, It talks about implementation and follow-up, just a lot of different components to it, but it's just a really nice basic roadmap. So if you've not undergone a strategic planning process before, or if you're thinking about doing one, it's a really nice primer on the process and some things to be aware of as you walk through it. And again, it's based in the experience of the Center for Congregations over the last 20 plus years that we've been doing this work. Thanks, Matt. And yeah, that's a helpful resource and a good primer. Again, sometimes when you are dealing with a new topic, it can be nice just to have, you know, a summary sheet to know where to begin and where to jump in. So I think that's what this resource serves as. So a resource that I brought today is going to be familiar not only to you, Matt, but to our other listeners, at least those that listened to the end of season two, because Lynette Pokua was a guest we had in episode 12 of season two talking about the Enneagram. And I'm bringing her website, Ennea Stories, 
because I think, again, I'm thinking about the people element of strategic planning. In the interview, Amy brought up the strengths finder assessment, which can be used to help you identify where the strengths or the challenges and opportunities are within your organization. And I think the unique work that Lynette does around Enneagram coaching can serve a similar function. You know, it's about recognizing not only what number and wing the people on your leadership team might be or the people on your board might be, but it's understanding how they work, understanding the way that they process things, understanding where they're going to be able to offer a lot of great insight and where they might not be able to so that you can then see what you need to bring into the organization to get where you want to go. You know, So I think working with her is great because it can help not only build team camaraderie and chemistry, but help you do the process of strategic planning and strategic visioning from that people-centered place a bit more effectively. And so that's why I wanted to bring up Lynette again today. Yeah, thanks for that, Ben. I think it speaks to, as you mentioned earlier, the different layers of it, that there are organizational layers, there's personality layers, there's gifts and talents layers, there's the needs of your congregations layers, so many pieces to it. And so, you know, having some of those pieces in place, I think is really smart. Yeah. You know, and again, we had the opportunity to work with her here. And so, you know, we've been able to experience the work that she does firsthand, which is why it's easier to recommend her. What else did you have for us today, Matt? Yeah, I wanted to highlight an article written by Susan Beaumont, who actually is a strategic planner. And the article is called Embracing Liminal Space. And it's based on the book that she wrote, which we'll also put in the resource list, How to Lead When You Don't Know Where You're Going, Leading in a Liminal Season. And I think the book was actually written before the pandemic, but it's quite timely in the fact that we are in a bit of a liminal space. And, you know, liminal spaces are spaces in between. And I think that describes really well where we're at with congregational life, that there was a way of doing things and there will be a new way of doing things, but we're in an in-between space where there's some uncertainty. So check out the article. And if it resonates with you and if you think it's helpful, then maybe you move on to check out the book, because I think it's helpful to describe how to think about planning and moving forward in this in-between time. Yeah, thanks for Matt. In-between times can be very difficult, very difficult, very hard to navigate, and there's a lot of uncertainty there. And so it's really helpful to just have that named and then have a resource that can help us figure out what it means to walk through that into whatever the next thing is. And as a reminder, you can find these and other resources on the CRG, so T-H-E-C-R-G.org. And because strategic planning has been such a big ask for the entirety of the life of the Center for Congregations, there are a lot of resources on strategic planning on the CRG. So we encourage you to check that out. Yeah, and also be sure to leave us a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, please. That's the fastest way for new people to find this podcast. So thank you to those that have already left a rating. And if you haven't, please take a few seconds and leave us that five-star rating. Yeah, and we'd love for you to reach out to us at podcast at centerforcongregations.org. It's our lonely, dusty inbox that still has no traffic. Still no traffic. <laughs> and hopefully by the time you're hearing this, maybe some people will have actually just said, hey guys, you know, just say hello. <laughs> if you're listening this late in the podcast, send us an email that says um, Friday, and we'll know that you listened this late in the podcast. The single lone listener who's still hanging in, Ben. They'll email us Friday and we'll smile. We will smile. I will laugh out loud if you include one of Rebecca Black's versions of the song Friday. Oh, please. Please don't do that. (laughs) 
Uh, we also want to encourage you to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at the Center for Congregations. That's where we keep you up to date on the happenings here at the center. So that might mean showing congregational stories and highlighting the great work that Indiana congregations are doing. It might mean letting you know when new education events are taking place or just highlighting resources that we think you'll find helpful. So follow us on Facebook and Instagram and see what's coming up. Then we want to thank Jaden Lee for our sound engineering and editing. He makes us sound amazing and also the original score and music that he puts into these episodes. And as always, we want to name our gratitude for the generous funding of the Lilly Endowment that makes all the work we do here at the Center for Congregations possible. So for the Center for Congregations, I'm Matt Burke. And I'm Ben Tapper. We hope to talk to you soon. Take care, y'all.